0: So I was thinking about the call of Ezekiel this week, I, I couldn't help but be reminded of the conversation between uh, Sam and Frodo. <laughs> These two hobbits uh, on their way to Mordor caught in this adventure that uh, they didn't really choose for themselves. But Sam's speaking there on their trial, he said, we, we shouldn't be here at all if we had known more about it before we started. But I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo, adventures, as I used to call them. I used to think they were things the wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered, or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have just been landed in them, usually. Their paths were laid that way. And I expect they had lots of chances like us of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those as just went on. And I think of this call of Ezekiel, this guy who gets landed in this awful and awe-filled adventure uh, that was not really his own choosing, and yet he was being asked to be used by God at this really critical period in Israel's history. Uh, chapter one, if you missed chapter one, uh, we get Ezekiel's vision of God. And today, chapters two and three, we get what I would call Ezekiel's vocation, uh, or as my English translation said, Ezekiel's call. And so I want to talk about vo- vocation today. And I don't know, when you see that word vocation, uh, many of us probably just equate that with our job, our occupation, right, how we make our money in life. But vocation is a, is a deeper word than that. It actually comes from the Latin uh, verb vocare, which means to call. And so a, a vocation is, is a, a sense of calling. It's a sense of being summoned to a particular task. It's a sense of being a, a, a specific person with a specific purpose in the world. Our vocation can include our, our job, but it's much more than that. Our vocation is our own, our own unique way of being in the world according to how God has, has wired us and what God calls us to do at different seasons of our lives. Um, I think of his, uh, Ephesians 2, where Paul says, we are God's workmanship. We are his, his works of art, literally. And we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The idea of being God is... is wired each one of us created each one of us in our own unique ways and he has these particular works that he has for each one of us to do and that is our vocation and and it can be many different things throughout the different courses of our lives but i want to talk about what our vocations are what does it mean uh, to be called by god and we're going to look at ezekiel's own vocation today and consider this amazing vocation and and ask you know what how does this inform how we think about our own lives today So let's look at this. I want to walk us through this fairly quickly. um, But I want you to try to get inside of Ezekiel's shoes, uh, inside his clothes. Imagine what it would have been like to be him and to be given this calling from God. I want to point out three things. First, I just want to, these are pretty obvious, but I want to note, first, who he's being sent to, who he's being called to go to. Um, Second, what he's being asked to do. And then three, how God equips him for what he's asking him to do. All right? And then I'll bring out a couple implications for our lives today. So just try to imagine this, if you would. It shouldn't be too hard. There's a lot of great images in here. But first, let's consider who he's being called to. Now, look at chapter 2, verse 3. God says, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites. Okay? So he's being sent to the Israelites. Chapter 3, verse 11, he says, go now to your countrymen in exile. Okay, so he's being sent to the Israelites who are now in exile living in Babylon. And I just, two things I want to uh, mention. The first is this. He is being sent to a broken people, okay? Okay. So five years ago, I want you to picture this. These Israelites, just five years ago, were living in the land of Israel. They were living their ordinary lives, on their ordinary, in their ordinary houses, living their lives. And then the Babylonians came through, this army came through and conquered them, okay? Destroyed homes, destroyed some of their loved ones, some of their family members, some of their friends. Killed them and carried them off hundreds of miles into captivity in a foreign land. So in a, in, a, in a matter of a week, their whole lives were turned upside down. Now they're living in some foreign place with a foreign language. Uh, they've lost close friends. They don't have their homes anymore. Nothing that they're familiar with is a part of their lives anymore. And their, li- their lives have been utterly shattered. And, and just the, the rug has been pulled from underneath them. So just what I was saying this week, picture the, the contemporary refugee crisis that we have in our own world. You know, you think of what's going on because of what's happening in Syria and in the Middle East and these people, the millions of people that are being dispersed now, that have lost loved ones and are trying to figure out where to go. And and the trauma of that experience there's this emotional trauma, there's in some cases physical trauma, there's all this psychological trauma, and they're just trying to figure out how to live their lives. And that's who Ezekiel is being sent to. Now, he's, of course, he's one of those, those broken people. He is in exile himself. But he's being asked to to give a message of judgment to a people who are already traumatized and broken. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a very fun task. But they're not just a broken people. (laughs) They are also uh, a rebellious people. I hope you picked that up as Tyler was reading. Um, I counted at least seven times. They are rebellious people. They are rebellious people. If you haven't ever read the prophets, the prophets motto is why say something once if you can't say it seven times. You you, You might as well say it seven times or 20 times. They love to repeat. So I think that's the thing that comes through is this is a rebellious people. Look at chapter three, verse seven. Uh, he describes them, the end of that verse, he res- describes the whole house of Israel, my NIV translates it as hardened and obstinate, okay? Literally, in the Hebrew, strong of forehead and hard of heart. So they've got these, these, these minds, are just, just hard, they're hard-headed, we would say today, and, and these hearts that are, they're not soft and receptive to God, they've grown hardened, and that's the interesting thing. These people have experienced a lot of suffering. Um, and oftentimes suffering can, can really open a person up. You know, there can be a person who's hard, but they, they go through hard times and, and that softens them. They become more open to other people who have gone through hard experience. They become more usable by God. But, but suffering doesn't always do that. <laughs> Sometimes suffering actually hardens a person. and makes them more and more closed off. And that's what, is, that's what the suffering has done to Israel. And that's the great tragedy of this. So I, I can't think of a tougher audience to be sent to. There's people who are both broken and rebellious and hardened. And God's saying, that's who, that's who I'm sending you to, Ezekiel. That's the audience. Second, consider what God is asking him to do, Okay. Two basic commands given to Ezekiel in this passage. The first one and the most important one, uh, you see it in chapter 2, verse 4. Take a look. Verse 4. The people to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Here's the command. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And then go down to verse 7. You must speak my words to them. This is the fundamental call. I want you to go to these people and speak my words. Whatever I tell you to speak, you speak. Say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And that's the fundamental call of a prophet. Okay, if you ever read the Old Testament, that's the basic role of a prophet is to speak God's words to God's people, or sometimes to people who aren't God's people, but to speak God's words. And sometimes we think of prophets, we just think of prophecy. We think of someone who like talks about the future, and that's a part of what prophets do, but their more basic role is just they're truth speakers to God's people. And God is saying, that's your role. I want you to speak my words to these people. Uh, Later in chapter 3, we didn't read this, he tells Ezekiel, you're like a watchman, Ezekiel. I want you to be a watchman for my people. And a a watchman is, you know, in ancient times you have these cities that would have city walls around them. And the watchman would stand on the wall, you know, overnight and would be looking out for, you know, possible threats coming in other other armies. And God is saying, that's the role I want you to play, Ezekiel, with my people. You're a watchman. But guess who the enemy is? is coming that Ezekiel is going to warn the people about. God himself. God is this conquering army coming, and God is saying, I want you to warn the people that I'm going to come in judgment if they do not repent. Quite a role. Uh, and in, in this passage uh, and throughout Ezekiel, uh, you don't have a lot of hope that Israel is going to have a positive response, do you? I mean, look at verse 5. Verse uh, 5. Whether they listen or fail to listen, you need to say these things. Later on in chapter 3, basically, they're not going to listen to you. The reason they don't listen to you is because they don't listen to me. So I've got this message for you to pre- preach to them. They're not going to really listen to you. Um, but either way, in the end of verse 5, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Whatever their response is, there, there can be no excuse. They will have to reckon with the fact that I have spoken to them through my prophet. And so that's why I'm sending you. So that's the fundamental role, speak my words to my people. And then there's one other call that he gives, one other command, and you see it in verse six, and he really needs to hear this one. Take a look. Uh, You son of man, here's the command, do not be afraid. Let me read that verse. Do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and, and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are rebellious. So, house. so three times in one verse, God's saying, don't be afraid, Ezekiel. And he says that but he gives him this image that would leave me really afraid actually. He says, "Don't be afraid though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions." <laughs> like Ezekiel, you're going to be like sleeping out, it's going to be like sleeping outside among the thorns and there's scorpions all, but don't be scared. Don't be scared. I am with you. But that's the call do not be as- and he needed to hear that because what he was being asked to do would take a tremendous amount of courage, a tremendous amount of of uh, fortitude. You know, I mean, what he was gonna do was gonna have all sorts of um, ramifications for his life. And this is what I, I spent time thinking through this week, just kind of reflecting on. You think about what, what would be the relational implications of this calling for him. He's just gonna be speaking judgment on God's. I mean, his, his social calendar would be wide open for the rest of his life, right? I mean, think of, you think of what, what this would mean for his relationships with his fellow Israelites living in exile. And I was just picturing myself, like as a pastor, someone who gets to speak a lot, what if if God put on my heart, and I was so clear, something that's like, like some contemporary issue that's super controversial, Okay, and you can pick whatever it would be, but it's super controversial, and he put on my heart, said, Dave, I just want you to preach this day in and day out, and I just started preaching about this issue that, like, 90% of you completely disagreed with, and 10% of you, that, like, that's awesome, but I just kept going with it, and God was, and I just had this sense from God, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I was just thinking, like, what the relational implications, possibly the financial implications for me as well, the occupational hazards of that would be just remarkable, and here's this guy, and he's living in a in an ancient Eastern culture, where they are um, they're such a communal culture, so they're not like these rugged individuals like Americans who kind of think I'm going to do my own thing and to heck with what other people think. I mean, these are people who define themselves by by their tribe, by their you know by their group, and so God is asking Ezekiel to to have a, a calling that's going to completely isolate him from his people. Leave him feeling lonely, I'm sure, and just isolated. But God is saying, do not be afraid. And of course, beyond that, there was physical dangers for Ezekiel. To, to preach this message to a, to a broken and hardened people, um, his, his own safety you know, would be in danger. And just a couple years earlier, Jeremiah had been prophesying very similar things. And Jeremiah had been in prison. He had been beaten for the things he had said. And Ezekiel may have known Jeremiah before he was carried off into exile. So a lot to be afraid of, but God is saying, do not be afraid. And then finally, look at how God equips Ezekiel for this task. Three things I notice here that, that help Ezekiel to be equipped for this. Uh, first is this, this thing of, did you pick that up in uh, chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, in the beginning of chapter 3, of, of um, him eating a scroll, you know, um, and that might sound like revelation to some of you. Remember that. But uh, God says, he, God basically stretches out a scroll and there's, there's words of woe and, and uh, lament. This is the message that God is giving Ezekiel. And he says, eat it. And e- Ezekiel eats this scroll and it tastes like honey and it, it goes inside him. But I think what God is saying is, I want you to internalize my words. You're gonna take these in and digest them. They will become a part of you, Ezekiel. All that to say is you go out to my people, you're not just gonna be rehearsing some script that's been given to you. You're gonna be speaking from within yourself. You will be such a part of this message that you will, you will feel utterly compelled to do this. It will, it will be a part of you. It's a way of empowering him to give this message to the people. So he has them take this scroll. Uh, He also, uh, second way he he equips them, he gives them a new disposition. Um, Did you notice that? Uh, Look at uh, verse 7 of chapter 3. He says, the house of Israel will not listen to you, right? Because they're hard, what was it? Hard-headed and hard-hearted basically. Verse 8, but I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint, so do not be afraid of them or terrified by them. He's, God's basically saying, I'm going to toughen you up for this task, Ezekiel. Um, you're going to be butting heads with the Israelites, so I'm going to give you a head that's just as hard as theirs. And I was thinking, you know, we don't really know what Ezekiel was like. He may have been a, a, just a, a pretty nice guy. He <laughs> you know, may, may have been a pretty mellow, gentle, nice guy. And that just wasn't going to work for the vocation he was being given. And so God was saying, I'm going to give you a disposition that will equip you for this really hard vocation. And it's going to come from me. It's not going to be something that you just create from within yourself. And then finally, of course, and most importantly, the way he equips him is, is through his own spirit. And the spirit shows up at the beginning, And the end of this passage, look at chapter two, verse one. He said to me, son of man, we left Ezekiel on his face, remember, with this vision of God. And then God speaks and says, get up, stand on your feet. Verse two, as he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. So the spirit raises him up to hear, to be ready to be sent to do God's bidding. And then the end of the passage, if you look at chapter three, verse 14, after God has said all these things, verse 14, then the spirit lifted me up, and took me away, and the strong hand of the Lord was on me. Okay, so the spirit, of course, is filling him, equipping him. So Ezekiel is being sent to a really tough audience with a really tough message, but he's not going alone. The God of the universe, through his spirit, will be inside of him and will go with him. His hand will be upon him. So he is equipped for this task. But the reality remains, this is a really tough vocation. Would you agree? really tough vocation, and I was just struck this week um, by how the passage ends. I look at verse 14. I, I, think, I think a very honest uh, statement by Ezekiel. Verse 14, the Spirit then lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord upon me it 's possible and you know scholars debate this that, that what Ezekiel's saying is that the anger that God has towards his people his people he 's filled me with that same anger, so i 'm going out with that same anger, but it 's also possible, and this is where I would lean is is ezekiel saying I, I was confronted with this vocation and and it just left me struggling <laughs> angry, but like why? Am I being called to do this? Whichever the answer is, look at the end of the, of the verse, uh, verse 15. Um, he goes to the Cabar River, and there where they were, I sat among them for seven days overwhelmed. So he has this, this vision and this call. It just left me overwhelmed. I had like seven days of recovery of just trying to process what just happened. And you know, I, I woke up that day, it was, it was just another normal day and I went to the river. Maybe he was working, maybe he was praying. And by the end of the day, he's like, my life had been turned upside down. Everything was gonna be different. I'd been given this vocation, but it was so radically different than what I expected. It was, it was overwhelming to me. And you have to remember, um, this guy, it was probably his 30th birthday that day. So, you know, happy birthday, Ezekiel. Um, but he was a son of a priest. He was raised to be a priest. And you think about the relationship, that the, 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 the uh, Israelite priests would have with the people, which would be a, a positive relationship, right? This, this mediator between God and the people, this person uh, whom people would bring offerings to that would be a part of the forgiveness of their sins through the sacrificial system, a very positive uh, relationship with the people. And I, I, can, I imagine Ezekiel is sitting there going, I just wanted to be a priest. <laughs> I never wanted to be a prophet. I didn't, I didn't grow up expecting to be a prophet. That's the last thing I wanted for myself, and he's overwhelmed. And then he's off. <laughs> and he doesn't even know yet some of the crazy things that God is going to ask him to do in this book. And starting next week, we'll see some of the crazy things that he was asked to do. And with that, our, our passage ends. So how's that for a sense of uh, vocation? <laughs> sense of calling? You know, I started in chapter one, just by reminding us, there's this, we've got a wild God. You know, he's a wild God. He, he's not beholden to, to our categories and our expectations. And what I learned in chapters two and three is this wild God sometimes asks his people to do some pretty wild things. Uh, and he doesn't always ask for their opinion on the matter. You notice that? He doesn't always ask. There's not much of a dialogue here. Um, and it reminds me of Moses in the burning bush, right? Moses, I've seen my people in slavery, and so I'm sending you. And Moses is like, no, you're not. <laughs> uh, who am I? I can't speak. Well, please, Lord, send somebody else. And God's like, no, Moses, I'm sending you. Jonah, <laughs> I'm sending you to the Ninevites, to your enemies, to preach against them. And Jonah says, no, you're not. And he goes the exact opposite directions. God says, yes, you are. You're going. And he does. I was even thinking of the, the story of Mary and Joseph this last December. I, I spent a lot of time reflecting on, on Joseph as a, as a young father in the Christmas story and all the things that were asked of him in that Christmas story. And he was never really, his opinion was never really asked. It was just a matter of being faithful to the thing that God was calling him into these people who are thrown into a story, uh, asked to play this role that's not always easy, that's often difficult, but it is part of God's story of redemption. So it does remind me of those, those two hobbits, you know, thrown into this, this adventure uh, that they didn't exactly sign up for. And I want to balance that by, by reminding us that God is a God who has, has wonderful, good plans for us. He has good desires for us, right? I know the plans I have for you, plans not to... Uh, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I think of Jesus saying, I've come that you would have life to the fullest. We have this God who's, who's saying, I'm not coming to, to rob you of life. I'm not, I, I've come to give you true life. But along the way, there might be some really hard things that I ask of my people. And so for me, it, you, know, you look at his story and it, it, it just causes me to at least step back and go, how do I even think about my own life? <laughs> I mean, what categories do I have for how I even think about my own life's purpose and how I go about deciding what that is? Uh, two questions came to mind this week for me that I want to just throw out your way. Uh, the first one, as I think about Ezekiel, is uh, how do I measure a successful life? Like, how would I even measure? What, what are my measurements for what defines a successful life? And if, if we just use the kind of common cultural, the world's measurements, it would be, well, you know, do you have good friendships? Do you, know, you have a community around you? Um, have you been successful at your job? Have you um, been able to amass a level of, of wealth for yourself and a, a living that is, is comfortable? That would be kind of generally how people think, yeah, that's, that's what a successful life, life looks like. Well, if you take any of those measurements to Ezekiel, he's an utter failure, right? I mean, relationally, failure, he preaches all this stuff, and no one responds. I mean, we would fire that guy, you know, as prophet if, if um, he kept going. Though. So he's, he is an utter failure by the world's standards, but by God's standards, he's a success, and those standards being simply <laughs> faithfulness. Like, I am an, I'm asking you to do something, and I want you to be faithful to do it, regardless of how things turn out for you, regardless of what the response is. Success is just about you simply being faithful to what I'm asking you to do. I was thinking about the, the storyline of, of, of God's story with Israel and where Ezekiel fits into that. You know, I'm, I'm talking about these larger stories that we're brought into. If you start back in... Uh, in, uh, you know, slavery in Egypt, that's a low point. God, of course, liberates them. That's a high point. They come into the land. Uh, the judges, you have, it's kind of a, a lower point. And then they kind of build up to this high point, this golden age in Israel's history with King David, right, those, those early kings. And then you have a couple hundred years of just slow decline with this low point at the exile. Uh, and then, of course, return from exile, you have this other high point. But God's like, to Ezekiel, he's like, there you are, Ezekiel, there's where you fit in my story. Okay? Your vocation fits in that part of the story. And I'm asking you to be faithful to this vocation to preach a warning toward, for repentance in that part of the story. And Ezekiel must have felt like, I want to be in one of those other parts of the story. And God said, But faithfulness is you fulfilling this role that I have for you. And the story is great. It is a beautiful story. You just happen to find yourself in a really hard part of it. But be faithful to your part. And success looks like ending your life and me being able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with what I asked you to do. But it certainly makes me think about how do we define success. And the other is just in light of that, what am I living for? Like as I just think about what drives me? Uh, each week because I would get out of bed every what, what am, what are What's the goal that I'm living for? And I, I think of Ezekiel's story. I mean, this could not be any farther removed from the Orange County version of the American dream, right? I mean, this could not be more farther removed. Life, liberty, the pursuit of possessions and comforts, right? I mean, this is, this is so in, a, in another world from that. And so at least I think, no, we're not all called to this obviously, but at least it, it Causes me to ask myself, uh, what am I living for? I, I, am I playing out that other story of, of, you know, sort of this Orange County thing of I, I'm living for freedom, I'm, I'm, I'm living for um, for comforts, I'm living for people to like me, I'm living for to build up a certain standard of living uh, that makes me feel comfortable, makes me feel secure about my future, that that's fundamentally what's driving my life. And then I'm trying to fit God into that story as much as I can. (laughs) Here's what I'm going after. And God, I'll try to, I wanna bring you into this story as much as I can. Is that how I live my life? Or do I start from scratch and say, God, what is your story? What are you up to in the world? And, And how can I fit my life within that story, according to how you've wired and gifted me and, and the situation and people that you've put in my life, how do I play my part in your story rather than trying to trying to fit you into my story? And, and that might mean that my life is less comfortable than I thought. It might mean it's, it's harder and painful. And by the way, you never promised it'd be anything but that. There's no in Scripture that I have that you said it'd be anything other than that. But it certainly causes me to ask these questions. How am I thinking about what success looks like? And how am I, what, what, what's driving me in life? And so what I want to do, I want to close in a, a little bit longer time of prayer. We'll celebrate communion at the end. But I want to give you all just a couple minutes um, to do business with God, <laughs> if I can say it that way. Just to bring some things before him and to have a conversation with him uh, as you look at this, uh, this call about your own calling. God, what are you, what are you calling me into in this season of my life. And um, you get to do the work on this. This is your, your time with God. And so I'm going to try to lead us through that. And um, yeah, and then I'll pray for it. So if, if you would, why don't you just, if you'd be up for this, why don't you just close your eyes? And um, obviously you get to choose whether you want to engage this or not. Um, but let me just lead you through uh, maybe a couple, couple thoughts with, with God. Uh, first, I want to think about this idea of vocation, of, of the, the God calls people into particular tasks. And I, I want you to think about this season of your life. Maybe the last you know couple months or so. And maybe there's a calling that God is, is putting on your heart in this season. Maybe there's been something that's kind of emerging inside of you. Maybe there's this burden. Uh, or this invitation that God has been kind of inviting you into it. Maybe it's coming through seeing a, a particular need out there or through reading his word, and there's there's certain themes that are cropping up. And I, you know, not all else are gonna have that, but I, I would encourage you to think is there is there something that that's just been churning inside that you think God is God's kind of He's pushing me into, into something. It could be a new ministry that he's got for you. It could be uh, some kind of lifestyle change that, that he's there's been some conviction about in you or there, it could be a specific person in your life that you think he's, he's pushing you towards to engage more. But there's something growing in you. There's, there's a sense of, of call. And the reason you haven't really fully gone after it so far is because it's hard. <laughs> Because there's something challenging about it. There's obstacles for you to, to getting there, whether they're your own internal obstacles of fear or insecurity, or there's, there's external, there's just there's barriers to it. And as you think about the call of Ezekiel, I, I guess I would encourage you just to think, if God is, is doing something new in your heart, to know, He's going to equip you. He's gonna equip you to do that. And maybe you just, today's a good day to to think about that and to hear God saying to you, you you need to go after this. This is, I want you to do this. And I know it's not gonna be easy, but this is good and right, and this would be faithful to me. I just think of that image of Ezekiel, with this guy with this, this fire in his belly and this, this, oh, this head that has been set like flint. This, this guy who knows, I have to do this. This is something I have to do. And some of you might have some sort of burden. You go, This, I am supposed to do this, and you just haven't done it yet. And so I had to just invite you to have a conversation with God. Listen for him. Maybe you want to, there's something you need from him (laughs) to do this. So take him, just ask him, ask him, this is God, I need this from you right now. This is what I need to, to fulfill what I think you're calling me to do. And then one other thought, um, all of us will be able to identify with this one. I would just encourage you, identify something in your life right now that's hard, just something that's tough, some challenge that you're walking through right now. And some of you I know in this room are, are carrying some real burdens, and um, for some of you, those are things that other people know about. Some of them you just carry silently uh, in your own heart. Um, Some of them may be things that are of your own doing, and some they were things you just, they happened to you, you didn't choose it. But I I would encourage you, what's something that's a real challenge for you right now? And why don't you just take time just to lift that up to God? And maybe you you need to hear his voice again, just speaking to you, just saying, you know what, just be faithful. I'm just calling you to be faithful in this. You don't need to try to fix this. You don't need to try to get yourself out of this. Be faithful to me. Just walk with me. I'm with you. I will give you everything you need to walk through this. And again, in this one, I'd encourage you, what do you need from him right now? What's the one thing that you most need from him in this challenge? And just ask for it. Maybe it's wisdom. Maybe it's courage. Whatever you need. Maybe it's patience or joy. Let me leave you with this great promise in Hebrew, Hebrews thirteen. Whatever your challenges are, may the God of peace, may He equip you with everything you need to do his will. And may he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen.